Let's start the Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. Namotasa Bhagavata Arahata Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavata Arahata Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavata Arahata Sama Sambuddhasa As we were coming down the, to the meditation hall, we saw a beautiful rainbow just above the meditation hall. So surely, an auspicious sign. In tonight's talk, I will not deal with an aspect of Vipassana meditation, at least not in its narrow sense. In a wider sense, of course. What I will talk about is a very important aspect of life. It's about death. Death is certain. Death will come for sure. We cannot escape death. And so, because it's something very sure that will come in our life, we should be well prepared for death. And meditation practice can also be seen as a preparation for death. I have heard a number of yogis saying that, yes, they see meditation practice as a preparation for death, so that they can die well, that they can die peacefully, calmly, not being disturbed. It's interesting to notice that in German that the word sure or certain is connected with the word death. In German it's tot sicher, death sure or death certain. If something is sure or certain, it already means that it is sure or certain. Why to make this combination with death? Somehow, the peoples, this lang- in the language, it's well known that the only really sure thing in our life is death. And so uh, that's why this combination of tot sicher, death certain, death sure. During the many years as a Buddhist nun, I practiced the four protective reflection every day for many, many years. And this set of four reflections 
are is the first one is the recollection of the attributes of the Buddha. The second one is metta bhavana, the cultivation of loving kindness. The third one is the recollection of the non-beauty of the body. As we have uh, mentioned already, like taking the 32 parts of the body and see that none of these parts is inherently beauty or stays beautiful all the time without changing. And the fourth of these protective reflections is the reflection on death. And these four reflections are called the four protective reflections or sometimes simply called the four protections. And they are called protective reflections because they can protect us. In which way can they give us protection? With these four reflections, we cultivate and strengthen certain qualities in us. And when these qualities become strong, they become a protection. They can protect our life. So the first of these reflections, the reflections on the attributes of the Buddha. So there are nine traditional attributes of the Buddha which can then be reflected upon. So this reflection leads to the strengthening of sada, of faith or confidence. Namely, the faith or the confidence that liberation or enlightenment is possible and not only for the Buddha and the few selected beings, but liberation is possible for anybody who practices. So liberation is possible for us too. The second reflection is the cultivation of loving-kindness what we have been doing here for the first week and in the second week still cultivating it at certain times. And so, as you have come to know, it strengthens this quality of kindness, friendliness, benevolence. It makes the heart spacious, accepting, and As we have also come to know, metta is the antidote to anger, ill will, aversion. And so a heart filled with metta is a very good protection against anger and ill will. The third of these reflections is a reflection on the non-beauty of the body. And so with these reflections, taking the 32 parts of the body and doing it as we have mentioned a couple of times, so that this leads to a lessening of our attachment 
to the body. Or it can lead to a dim- diminishing of excessive or strong attachment to the body, be it our own body or be it the body of somebody else. And lastly, the reflection on death leads to a deeper understanding that death is an undeniable fact of life, that it is sure that we will die one day and that we cannot escape it. So it shows very clearly the impermanent nature of our life. We are not permanent or everlasting. And besides this, when we see the impermanent nature of our life, when we see the fact that we are mortal, then this leads to a sense of urgency or immediacy, meaning that in the time before death, that we do what is important or that we find out what our priorities are and so then do uh, what we think is really uh, essential to do. So all these different qualities that can be strengthened through these four protective reflections, they are very important and very crucial on our spiritual journey. Without these qualities of faith, of kindness, benevolence, of lesser attachment to the body, and without this sense of urgency or immediacy, it's very difficult to proceed on our spiritual path or to make progress. For example, if we go on a long hike, if we go for a day hike, then we take a backpack and we take uh, a raincoat to, to protect us from the rain. We take some sunscreen to protect us from the sun. We also take some food, picnic, sandwiches, so that we do not need to be hungry. We take enough liquid water so that we are not thirsty. And in order not to get lost, we take a map and maybe a compass. And also for our hike in samsara, in our journey through samsara, we need to be well equipped. And with these four protective reflections, we can pack our spiritual day pack. So what we put in our spiritual day pack is Faith, confidence, kindness, non-attachment or lesser attachment to the body, 
and a sense of urgency, realizing our impermanent nature. So as I said, during my years of being a nun, I did these four protections every morning for many, many years. And it only needs a few minutes, no need to do them for a long time, but just remind ourselves of these different things. It can be helpful, for example, to do it every morning at the beginning of the first sit or um, in day-to-day life when we get up. Just a couple of minutes spending on these four reflections. And with that, we pack our spiritual day pack, which will help us and protect us uh, in the course of the day. The Buddha often encouraged his disciple to reflect on death. And so, to reflect on death, we should reflect on the fact that we are going to die, that this is certain, everything else in life is uncertain, but death is certain. We also should reflect that we do not know when we are going to die. We don't know how we are going to die. If it is because we are sick or in a car accident or a stroke or simply not waking up in the morning, So we don't know yet. But actually, the primary cause for our death, that's very well known. The primary cause for our death is the fact that we have been born. If we hadn't been born, we wouldn't die. Seneca was a Roman philosopher who died in the year 60 after Christ. He also um, knew that because he said, when you die, it will not be because you are sick, but because you were born. Maybe he had heard of the Buddha's teaching. So when we do this reflection on death over a long period of time, then gradually it will be possible to make friends with death. Because gradually we will come to better and deeper understand that eventually we will die and that we have to die. There is no other possibility. Even if most of the people say that they know that they 
will have to die, or saying, yeah, yeah, one day I will die. This understanding is, is usually not very deep or profound. That it is not very profound will come will become obvious when people are confronted with their own immediate or approaching death or when they are confronted with the death of a beloved one. The fact that they then fall into despair, sadness, grief, lamentation surely shows that they have not been well prepared for this unevitable uh, fact. So the many, many years that I did this reflection on a daily basis have helped me immediately, uh, have helped me a lot, especially in the last two years. Many of you know that um, I have a prosthetic leg and that it was just about two years uh, ago I uh, got the diagnosis that I had a metastasis in the lower leg, in the shin bone. And then 18 months ago I had a below the knee amputation. So the diagnosis of the metastasis, of having this metastasis in the bone, put me into the category of the terminally ill. And the statistics for the survival of a metastasized melanoma are not really very good. (laughs) They are quite mm, groom. But, I know you know, you know, statistics are statistics. They are just numbers on papers. And each person uh, is not a number. Each person is different again. So, getting this diagnosis two years ago, Two years ago, again, I was put face to face with death. The first time, it was seven years ago, when I was uh, faced with the diagnosis of a melanoma, skin cancer. So, two years ago, and also seven years ago, when I was kind of faced with a possible very soon death, I could see that the benefit of doing this reflection uh, about death, death had its benefits, that I had made friends with death, more or less. Death had become quite a close friend. So these two diagnoses did not cause, you know, deep uh, depression or did not uh, cause uh, 
great uh, distress or unsurmountable fear or grief. On the contrary, I realized that the heart, the mind, responded with a certain equanimity, with a certain balanced state of mind. And this equanimity was surely the result of the many years of doing this reflection on death to bring up this awareness again and again that death was certain, that I was going to die one day, the fact that I was impermanent, that I was mortal. So the fact that we all have to die, kind of this general knowledge that we have, so this was no longer just a superficial general knowledge, but it had sunk a bit deeper into the heart. And I have to say that making friends with death is really very, very liberating. What I noticed is that this underlying and kind of subconscious uh, worry around death, that this underlying worry has, has gone or disappeared because the heart, the mind, does no longer need to worry whether or not I will die, or when, or how. Somehow this fact that I will die, somehow, um, was understood uh, quite deeply uh, in the heart. And so a burden that had not really been perceived as a burden had fallen down from my shoulders. And because only when it had fallen down from my shoulders, I noticed that something had gotten lighter. And so this falling down of the burden, that was really very liberating. And it brought a lightness and a joy into my life. As a result of this reflection, also as a result um, of facing this um, fact of cancer metastasis, another thing um, became obvious or another thing manifested, namely the deeper understanding or awareness of the beauty of this life and the preciousness of having this life. And on top of that, there arose this sense of urgency, of immediacy, like this feeling that whatever I think is important to do in my life, that I do it now 
and I do that I do not postpone it for later, saying, yeah, yeah, this can wait. Um, other things seem to be more urgent. And I think if people knew that they had only a short time to live, they would much less engage in all the trivialities and unimportant things in their life. They much more easily would turn their lives to that which really matters. Some years ago, when I was here uh, leading a retreat, there was a woman who said that during the 10 10 days retreat that she wanted to shave her head. And it turned out that not long before the retreat uh, started, a very close friend of her died of cancer. And so with her friend's death, she was confronted with death. And so she started to reflect on her life. And she started to reflect, what if I was going to die very soon? What would I want to do? What did I not yet do in my life, but I really would like to do it in my life? And so she made a list. And one of these things was, to shave her head. And so she thought she would grab this opportunity and shave her head. These reflections on death, they should not make us depressed. They should not make us sad or they should not paralyze us. They also should not cause morbid thoughts. That would not be what the Buddha had intended. That would not be what these reflections should be for, or um, should not be their uh, outcome. Apart from the few, few things that I've already mentioned, this reflection on death can lead to other um, results. And so I'm going to mention a few points. Surely not everything that could be a result from these reflections, but just to mention a few uh, points. So one, and for me, kind of the central point, the central aspect, is that this reflection um, should lead one to live a good life. Just to live a good, decent life. And so that at any point in our life, we can say that we are living a good life or even that we have so far lived a good life. And with that, that we could say, 
Are we ready to go? Do we have this inner willingness to go whenever we are called by death? That would be the ideal. David Morris was a well-known Western Buddhist scholar. He died at the age of 85. And one of his very good friends was a Buddhist monk living in Malaysia. It was Bhantita Mananda. And soon after uh, Maurice David's death, Bhantita Mananda got a letter from him. And in this letter, this letter it said, You will be happy to know I died today. There are two reasons for this. Firstly, you will be relieved to know that my suffering from the sickness has finally ended. And secondly, since I became a Buddhist, I have faithfully observed the five precepts. As a result, I know that my next life cannot be a miserable one. So to have no regrets. Another benefit of this reflection is that it brings joy and gratitude into our life. Joy and gratitude for each day. For each day that we have in front of us. Or gratitude for each day that we have waken up, woken up. Because that's not to be taken for sure when we go to bed in the evening. One of my aunts not being sick or uh, old, yeah, she died while sleeping, so couldn't get up next morning. Another benefit of this reflection is that it brings presence and mindfulness into our life, into our day. So the awareness of one's impermanence or mortality brings a stronger presence into life. It's also, and it also brings a greater willingness to be present into our life. Another benefit is that it brings more equanimity into our life. The equanimity to take things as they come or to take things as they are. And also an equanimity not to take everything so serious, so that serious. An equanimity that knows that the world will continue even without me.
Yet another benefit of this reflection is that it helps us to cultivate wholesome states of mind and to feed the wholesome, to starve the unwholesome. Venerable Viranyani has talked about it in great length last night. So this should be clear now how this can be done. This reflection also brings the benefit that we understand that at the time of death we can take nothing with us, neither our money nor our possessions, nothing. But the understanding of karma reveals the fact that we take with us whatever we have done, whatever we have said, whatever we have thought intentionally. And so what we do in our life and how we do things in our life is of great importance. This is what we take with us. Another benefit is that this reflection um, helps to arouse energy. My mother used to say when I was little, from nothing comes nothing. <laughs> so even or yeah, to, to cultivate the good, to cultivate the wholesome needs some effort, needs some energy. It doesn't just happen by itself. And the last benefit I want to mention is that this reflection can lead to clarity or to a greater clarity of our priorities. What is really important for us? Where are our real priorities? What do I really want to do with my life? How do I want to do it? Many people have a difficult relationship with death. And this also shows in the language, in the, in the choice of the words that are used for death or dying. So many people, when talking about death or dying, do not use these words but they use some other expressions which also um, point to the same fact. But it is as if people think that using these very clear words of death or dying, that this will make death worse or that it will speed up the process of dying or 
that it may even cause um, death to happen. Or maybe they think that if they use the word death, then um, they will get the death virus. But no need to worry about this. We all have the death virus. <laughs> Hugo Lötzscher is a Swiss uh, writer, or he was because he has, pa- he has passed away um, a few years ago. And one of his novels plays in Brazil. It's about and around the death of a young girl. And in one chapter, he describes all the different ways that death can be expressed. So the many, many different expressions there are for death. And that was quite uh, interesting and fascinating to read. So I just want to mention a few of these expressions. To go to the better side, to take the wooden express, to pack one's suitcase, to pay one's bill, to take leave forever, to close the eyes forever, to pull out the plug, or the engine uh, stops. So then I reflected, how will I die one day? Will I pack my suitcase or will I take the wooden express? Will I close my eyes forever or will I enter Nibbana? A Tibetan teacher, Tulku Orgyen Rinpoche, he says that to die is actually very simple. And the difference between being alive and being dead, dead is just one breath. He says, it is said that the difference between being alive or death is a single breath. If you exhale and you do not inhale, you are dead. That's all it takes. <laughs> In the Middle Age, death was often depicted as a skeleton. And in these, and there were illustrations which showed death as a skeleton who goes and calls people, calls them to come with him, um, to die. 
And these are illustrations of death calling uh, people. They have become known as la danse macabre or the, the dance of death because the first illustrations were made on the walls of a cemetery in Paris, in France. That was 1425. And from there, these illustrations spread all over Europe and in many cities, on many walls of the cemeteries, there were such illustrations. And this topic of death, um, you know, has remained um, a essential topic of, uh, of many painters or uh, artists. And even up to this day, people or artists take this topic and kind of make modern uh, illustrations of the dance of death. And about one and a half years ago, an exhibition of these illustrations was in the parish of the, the suburb uh, where I live where I uh, stayed with my parents. And so they got all these different uh, illustrations together, of course not the original ones, but copies of them. And so the whole history from the original uh, illustrations uh, from Paris up to the present day were there. And it was really a very interesting uh, exhibition and also, of course, um, it led to this um, thoughts about death and how inevitable it is. Our neighbor, he was in the committee to um, put up this exhibition and Later he told me that a member of that parish um, left the parish saying that this topic was not fit for a Protestant church. <laughs> As if, in, if Protestants do not die. <laughs> so back to these illustrations of the dance of death. So there we see death as the skeleton going to call the queen and the beggar, the soldier and the seamstress, the nun and the pope, the old man and the young girl, or how death calls the manager and the designer the prostitute and the policeman, the surgeon, the nurse, everybody. Nobody is spared. 
by death. Death does not choose. Death takes everybody. And death can go and take anybody at any time without asking. Or has anybody of you or in your family got a letter from death saying, if you would be ready next Sunday at two (laughs) o'clock. Many people are afraid of death, are afraid of dying. And in the Visuddhimagga, it is said that every kind of fear is based on this primordial, primordial fear of death. And to be afraid of death has two components. One is the fear of the actual dying process. And the other is the fear or uncertainty what comes after death. So in regard to the dying process, how will it be? There is the fear, will I die die with pain? Or at the time of death, will my mind be confused? Or will I die in coma? What will I feel? What will I experience in this moment of dying? So there is uncertainty, there is fear. And then there is the fear or uncertainty what comes after. And different religions have different possibilities. So, will there be heaven? Or will there be hell? Or will there be nothing? Death is death simple annihilation. Or is there rebirth? So the fear of dying, the fear of the dying process, is not uh, necessary. For this, we can do something. But the fear or uncertainty, what comes after death, that's a bit more difficult to deal with. Because it's difficult to die, to ask a person who has just died, where are you now? (laughs) The Chinese Buddhist master Sheng Yin, he had a very pragmatic approach to death. In order to diminish our fear or uncertainty around death, Master Sheng Ying gives the advice to think about 
to think about birth and death as transformation. Like a transformation when something transforms into something else. And so in his words, when water turns to ice, we should not regret that the water has disappeared. Maybe the ice will serve us better. As I said, the fear of the dying process does not need to be. Here we can do something. Like when we have really made friends with death, when death has become our close friend or our closest friend, then thoughts about death or dying will not cause fear to arise anymore or it will not be uh, so frightening anymore. So with this reflection on death that I have mentioned at the beginning of this talk, it is possible to gradually approach death, to get closer to death, to establish a friendly relationship with death so that death becomes our close friend. This reflection on death can be practiced in a more formal way, like these um, reflections that it is sure that I will die, I don't know how I will die, etc. But this reflection on death can also be practiced informally. Very spontaneously, we can have a moment of reflection on death uh, in our day-to-day life. So, for example, if we walk past a cemetery or if we drive past a cemetery, then we can stop a few moments and just reflect about the fact that one day I will die and one day I might be lying over there in the ground. Or when we read the newspaper, if we still read a newspaper, um, then we can not only flip over the page with the obituaries, but we can stop there and read through the obituaries, see who has died, how old the person was. Sometimes it said after a long sickness or a sudden unexpected death. So we can take a few moments, read this, and see that it's not only the old and sick people that die, but middle-aged people die, young people die, infants die, babies die, born and dying the same day. I don't know how it is here in Australia, but in Switzerland, the churches, they have bells, and they ring 
very often they do not only announce the hour or even the quarter hours, but you know they bring in Sunday morning to remind people now it's time to come for the Sunday morning service. They also ring when a funeral takes place, like a service, a funeral service in the church. And so then during the week, maybe 10 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, one can hear the bells of the church ringing. And so if it's during weekdays, during the morning, during the afternoon, then one knows, ah, now a funeral service in the church will take place. And so hearing the bells, then one can reflect again, yeah, I will die too, one day. And maybe one day the bells of this church will ring for my funeral service. As sure as it is that we will die one day, as sure is the fact that we are actually able to do it. Even if we have not practiced the actual dying process in this life, when death comes, we will be able to do it. It's something that everybody is able to do without having rehearsals beforehand. So even if many things have gone wrong in our life, even if we have failed many times, even if we consider ourselves a failure, the moment when death comes, we will not be a failure. We will not fail. We will be able to do it. Bhante Sujiva is a Buddhist monk. He is from Malaysia. And in one of his books, he described how he would like to meet death. And so... I want to read you this passage and after that we sit still for some moments. Hello Death, how are you? I have been waiting you for a long time. All my life I have been anticipating you. Are you coming for me at long last? Is it time for me to go already? Yes, Death, I'm coming. Be patient. I am ready. Can't you see I'm smiling? Yes, Death, I understand. You don't have to apologize. I know you've got a job to do. I hold no grudges against you, no hard feelings. I know it's nothing personal. Death, I'll come with you gladly. I'm tired. This body is like a broken shell. 
It has seen better days and has outlived its usefulness and time. As you can see, I'm already almost dead and I have endured all this pain, trying to smile at all these visitors calling on me. Death, to tell you the truth, you should have come earlier. After all the pain, you are a welcome respite. You are a godsend. But enough of this talk. Let's go. Come and hold my hand. I thank you for your attentive listening.